love you this morning and we thank you that we can come before you and God that we can declare that you are good and God we thank you for the overwhelming reckless love of God that chased after us that gave up his own son God so that we could stand here forgiven and free today and we're thankful for that so father this morning we just pray that you'd speak to us through your word um, God just let it just let it penetrate our hearts and let us leave this place changed because of what you have to say to us this morning. God, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say together, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need, and we need each desperately. We do need each desperately. Second Samuel chapter 1. Saul's dead. David has reclaimed his people and their things, and they're back in Ziklag. And we begin in verse 1 of chapter 1, 2 Samuel. After the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites and spent two days in Ziklag. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's army camp. He had torn his clothes and put dirt on his head to show that he was in mourning. He fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Where have you come from, David asked. Leaped, I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. What happened, David demanded. Tell me how the battle went. The man replied, our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are dead, and Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. How do you know Saul and Jonathan are dead? David demanded of the young man. The man answered, I happened to be on Mount Geboa. Does that sound odd? Does that make your antennas kind of pop up? Is there a warning light sounding? I just happened to be on Mount Geboa. I just happened. Now, who in their right mind just happens to be on the mountain where two of the largest armies of the day have gathered to fight? Who does that? Nobody in the right mind does that. So he wasn't there for the battle. He wasn't there to fight. He just said he happened to be there. He said, I ah, just, just walking through the countryside and decided to go up and look on Mount Kaboah and hang out. And, and by the way, I walked through the Philistine army and I walked through the Israel army and I saw that they were sharpening their spears and their arrows and they were taking care of things. And I said, ah, I just think I'll hang out here a while. There's no way, is there? I just happened, I just happened to be on Mount Geboa. And so it begins. And there was Saul leaning on his spear with the enemy chariots and charioteers closing in on him. When he turned and saw me, he cried out for me to come to him. How can I help, I asked. He responded, who are you? He said, I am an Amalekite, I told him. Then he begged me 
Come over here and put me out of my misery, for I am in terrible pain and I want to die. He begged me. He begged me. Who are you? I'm an Amalekite. Well, come over here and put me out of this misery. He begged me, for he was in terrible pain and he wanted to die. So the Amalekite says, so I killed him, for I knew he couldn't live. Then I took his crown and his armband, and I had brought them here to you, my Lord. David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. Then David said to the young man who had brought the news, Where are you from? And he replied, I'm a foreigner, an Amalekite, who lives in your land. Why were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one? Why were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one? Then David said to one of his men, kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. You have condemned yourself, David said, for you have yourself confessed that you killed the Lord's anointed one. And there you go. They put a sword in him. The Amalekite, a liar. This is not how Saul died. Saul didn't die by the sword of the Amalekite. Saul died by falling on his own sword. There's a lot of witnesses. There's a lot of people that saw this. And this Amalekite is lying to get ahead. He's telling a story that he's come up with. He's scheming to be well received by David and by the Israelites. He thought he had him a story that would improve his place in life. And it was all fabricated. It was a lie, a liar, a deceiver, a manipulator, a conniver. There you go. That's the Amalekite. Now, since he's a liar, I, I, I think there's no question he lied in paying respect to David. He lied when he said he was in mourning. He lied all along the way, and he just didn't happen to be on Mount Geboa, he went for the spoils. That's what I believe. And he happened to find the spoils of King Saul. And when he found the spoils, he said, I gotta come up with a story that will help me here. And so he comes up with this scheme, this story, and he, and he brings it to David, believing that he's about to be rewarded, he's about to be honored, he's about to find himself in good standing with the coming new king, David, the most powerful man in Israel, the one who's about to be the king over the whole nation. A liar, 
a conniver, a schemer. And look what happened. He found out that his lie had a major flaw in it. Now think about this. Something that helps us understand that most liars, obviously like this Malachite, they believe in their lie. They believe that it's a good story or they wouldn't be telling it. They don't believe they're going to get, taught, get caught. They don't believe there's any loopholes in it. They believe that they've got a story that's wrapped tight. It's believable. It's going to be believed. It's going to put them in a better place. And, and, and so they go about telling that lie. But he told a lie that had this major flaw in it. He tells the anointed that he has willingly killed the anointed. <laughs> that, that doesn't fly. That doesn't sell. Now, Amalekite, even if David believes your story, do you really believe that David is going to be okay with having someone that's willing to kill an anointed one around him? Of course not. That just can't be. And, and you are in danger. You are saying that you committed the crime of killing the anointed and you're telling that story to an anointed. It's not going to end well. It's not going to work out for you. But of course, the story was absolutely without any truth to it. The only pieces of truth to it is he was on Mount Geboa, and he did have Saul's spoils with him. He had his stuff with him. He had that going for him. He did know how you should look to mourn, but he wasn't mourning. I don't believe one bit that he was mourning over the loss of Saul. In that the truth of most liars, most people that are controlled by lying, that all they're concerned with is themselves, and he's a liar. He's a liar. It's important that we consider the lessons here that we can learn from him. His scheme was to better himself. That's what lying does. We lie to make ourselves look better. We lie to avoid consequences of a problem. We lie to keep the job. We lie to sell the job. We lie to make someone else think better of us. And there's never much concern for the end result of when the lie is found out. Isn't that amazing how that works? People that perhaps you've been around that lie on a regular basis, that you just go back and you look at their story and you begin to put the pieces together and, and you can't help but think, why in the world did you think that you were going to be able to tell this lie time and time again and the truth was never going to come to light? I mean, from day one, from the beginning of this, you were going, you were doomed. This was not going to work out well. But the Amalekite here believed that the truth wouldn't get him anywhere. 
And so he came up with this elaborate scheme to somehow or another find the favor of King David. It's a foolish story, we've already said, telling the anointed one that he had killed an anointed one. He was blinded to it. He, he was so deep into his lie, he, he was believing this, I believe. I believe that when he came across, he was believing his lie. And, and that happens, doesn't it? When someone lies and lies and lies, they begin to believe their lie. And, and I believe that's this Amalekite situation. And, and he didn't realize this major flaw. He had this huge blind spot. Huge blind spot. And, and, and that's really the nature of lying. There's a big blind spot that you can't see. The Amalekite, no question, needed a small group in the worst way. He needed, he needed some people in his life. He needed a group of men that was going to meet with him on a regular basis and, and, and hear his story. And, and so they would be able to speak to him and say, now, young man, you just didn't happen to be on Mount Geboa. Nobody does that. You didn't kill King Saul. We heard how it went down. What, what are you trying to accomplish here? Well, you know, I just thought that, man, I, I, I just got to have, I've got to improve my lot in life. I got to get somewhere. I'm just tired of where I'm at. And, and, and I found myself in the rare position to be able to grab King Saul's stuff. And I thought, finally, I can get ahead in my life. You can't get a, ahead, those guys would tell him, by telling lies. You don't get ahead by telling lies. You may get ahead for a moment, you may get ahead for a day, you may get ahead for a little bit, but you're going to be found out. You can't tell this lie. He needed people in his life because he's all alone. And the only person he's listening to is himself. And that's true. That's the nature of a liar. Won't listen to anybody. Won't hear what other people got to say. Is not willing to be honest. They can't be honest at any point because there's so much lying going on. Where, where, where do you, where do you, they're not able to say this is true and this is false in my life. And so they keep themselves, uh, isolated so they can keep their lie going. Lying's really prevalent today, isn't it? I've heard employers say that they just, they just need some people of character. They just need people who have integrity to work for them because they've, they've lost so much uh, in, in production from people that lie, that people that cheat, that people that steal from them, that, that people that won't own up to anything. They don't take responsibility for anything. I mean, we are absolutely saturated by lying on, on, on the news these days. I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing to me that, that a politician will stand up and say, I absolutely didn't know anything about that when it is absolutely proven that they did. And then they lie their way out of that. They, they attempt to lie their way out of the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, and the truth of the matter is, in our society, there's so much lying going on that, 
that when some rare individual comes along and is a truth speaker and only says the truth, regardless of the consequences for them, it's such a breath of fresh air. And that's who God's people are to be. We are to be that rare person. We are to be one of the few that tell the truth. We are to be the few that say, I broke it. I failed at that. It's my fault that that didn't work out. I, I'm the one that did that. I take ownership of that. I made a mistake. I failed. I didn't follow through. I, you know, I'm the one that, that, that dropped the ball on this, on this project. Sir, I'm sorry, it was me. That's a breath of fresh air today. Because what do you hear from people today? Wasn't me. I didn't do it. It was Henry. <laughs> it was Cynthia. It wasn't me. Lions all over the place. Now, what a wonderful opportunity for God's people to be who God wants them to be and be people of the truth, regardless of the consequences. You see, it's better to die because you told the truth than to die because you told a lie. That's what the Amalekite needed to understand. His integrity, his character is far more valuable than what he would gain by telling a lie. By telling a lie. Let's, let's look at a couple other scriptures here about lying. And maybe, maybe something will sink in if you have a problem with lying. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Listen to this. Listen to this. There are six things the Lord hates. Did you hear that? No, 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 no. The Lord doesn't hate anything. He's, he's all love. No, no, no. It says, there are six things the Lord hates. No. Seven things he detests. Now, you can argue all day long about the difference of meanings between hates and detests. I read in one uh, commentary where it seems like the writer Solomon here is, is second-guessing the idea that the Lord hates. Now, I believe that his definition of detest is hates, and hates is detests. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, that's pride. The Lord hates pride. He hates it. A lying tongue. Hands that kill the innocent. A heart that plots evil. Feet that race to do wrong. A false witness who pours out lies. A person who sows discord in a family. Isn't it interesting on the seven things that the Lord hates? Of the seven things the Lord detests, three of them have to do with lying, 
And actually, you can probably make a case in the other four that there's a close association between them and lying. Either lying to get there, you lie as a result of it. A lying tongue. A tongue that just lies. Just doesn't tell the truth. Always telling a lie. Always, always looking at the situation and instead of taking ownership of the truth of the matter, they're always spinning it so that they themselves look better. So they look better. A lying tongue. A false witness who pours out lies. Interesting the word pours out lies. Just can't tell the truth. Perhaps they hear a juicy tidbit about someone they don't care for, someone that's harmed them, someone that's hurt them, and, and they just can't wait to kind of embellish it a little bit and, and down talk that person to another. Pour out some lies. Pour out some lies about that person. The Lord absolutely hates that. When the Amalekite went to King David and lied in his reverence, lied in his mourning, and lied in his story, the Lord hated what the Amalekite was doing. When we lie, when we stretch the truth, when we don't come clear, when we don't say, this is what took place, and, and we're not honest with other people, the Lord hates the dishonesty. Why does he hate it? Because it harms us. And God is going to hate the things that harms us because he loves us. He loves us. And he knows the pain. He knows the problems that lying is going to cause. A person who sows discord in a family. How, probably not many families haven't had someone sowing discord in that family. The Lord hates it. He hates it in our families. He hates it in the body of Christ, which is a family. He hates it in small groups. He hate, hates it among friends. He hates it when someone sows, plants, you know, this, this discord in a family. And what they sow, what they plant, what they say, tears people apart and doesn't bring it together. You may have had the experience that you kind of thought well of someone. You said, well, they're a pretty good guy, pretty good gal. You know, they're, they're honest and trustworthy. You know, uh, you kind of feel a friendship with them. And, and, and you just, you know, you're growing in that relationship. And someone comes along and says, can you believe that so-and-so said that? And, and even when you're not able to put up your barrier and you're not able to say, that's gossip, I don't want to hear that, it penetrates you, and, and, and it almost seems like, my gosh, you can't help it. The next time you see them, you realize that how well you thought of them has now deteriorated some. And you need to reach out there and grab that and recognize that you have been duped by someone who's sharing discord. And they're trying to separate. God absolutely hates it when people sow discord in a family. Be careful. Strong warning in Proverbs. Be careful 
that you're not that liar. Guard your heart. Realize that all of us are capable of lying. All of us can sow the discord. All of us can, can, can make someone else think lower about another person. And God absolutely hates that. Absolutely hates that. And then we turn over to the chapter of John in John's gospel, John chapter 8. The words of Jesus. The words of Jesus. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Jesus says that Satan hates the truth. Why would he hate the truth? Well, he hates the truth because it puts him such a bad light. Satan can't love the truth because of what it reveals about him. So he hates the truth. It says he has always hated truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So he's speaking to people that have been leading the people spiritually, but have been leading them astray because they will not embrace the Messiah that has come in the world. And Jesus says, you are following the ways of Satan and you are speaking lies to people. And so he says, when you lie, you associate yourself with Satan. If he's the originator of lies, if he's the father of all lies, if he hates the truth, then when we lie, we are playing his game. We are playing his game his way. Lying. Deceiving. Not telling the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You might be the only truth speaker at your work. Enjoy the freedom of telling the truth. If telling the truth gets you fired, God will take care of you. If telling the truth doesn't get you ahead, if telling the truth doesn't get you the promotion, the Lord's going to take care of you. You're identifying with the Lord. But if you misspeak the truth, if you embellish, if you, if you talk in untruths, if you're trying to protect yourself like the Amalekite, if you're trying to protect your turf, if you're trying to protect your place, you're identifying with Satan when you lie. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to open up our hearts and minds today to a very difficult question. Have we numbed to lying? Lord, have we become numb to telling a lie? Have we become where it's so 
commonplace around us that we just have fall, we feel fallen to be victims uh, of, of, of the trap of lying. Lord, clearly the Amalekite lied. And he received immediate punishment for his lying. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts about this matter and the real soul searching will happen. And, and Lord, if indeed we find ourselves guilty of lying, we will confess, acknowledge, and repent. May your spirit work. May Jesus be exalted. And may we, your people, be truth tellers, no matter what. Help us not to give in to our culture. Help us not to give in to the things of this world, but to be upright. In Jesus' name, amen.